Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, the future of the Walking Dead universe. It's the biggest week of the year for video games and Marvel's greatest villain just might not be who you think. All this and more as we once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glasper from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports, Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He's our own undead walker of pop culture cosmos. You got to catch everything today that he's doing at popculturecosmos.com, Humanica Media, and of course his awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? And by undead walker, do you mean boring and still alive after 20 seasons? No, I'm just talking about how you wake up when you get up in the morning. Okay, I thought you were calling me repetitive like the show Walking Dead. So we're, we're okay. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Ooh, well, that's a low blow to all those TWD fans out there. In fact, there's a lot of great people that actually still follow The Walking Dead, although it is not nearly as many as it once was, which is indeed the point I'm going to go ahead and try and make when I speak to Daphne Matthew from The Walking Dead fan base and also Talking the Dead 18+. plus. Those are great fan groups from Facebook. So if you're interested in The Walking Dead, go ahead and be part of them today. She's the administrator of those groups, and she's going to be joining me, as always, when it comes to The Walking Dead later on here in the program. We're going to be talking about The Walking Dead, where it stands, where it's going, the problems with the series at this point in time, Fear the Walking Dead and all of its issues, and, of course, why they are doing another spinoff that's going to be starting up in 2020. We're going to talk about all those issues coming up later on in the program. Also as well, we're going to be talking about the biggest release week of 2019 for the world of video games. Josh, would you include also PBA Pro Bowling and Yoga Master in those titles that I'm going to be announcing coming up here in a sec? I mean, I guess if it's relevant, are people actually buying it? Is it a game that's going to climb some charts? Well, we'll find out later this week because both those games are coming out along with some indie games, namely WWE 2K20, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Well, there's an original title there for you. And The Outer Worlds. All three of those big games are actually coming out later this week, which makes it the biggest release week of 2019. We're going to talk about that coming up here in a few minutes as well. Speaking of video games, we're going to be counting down our latest 10 in our top 200 video games of all time, as voted on by our listeners of the Pop Culture Cosmos. And it's going to be now, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, my friend. It's numbers 21 
to 30. That's coming up later in the show as well. But first, you wanted to talk about this, my friend, on the Pop Culture Cosmos, on the Monday show. So here we're going to go at it as far as the continual backlash by these longstanding directors. I mean, this is something that it's not just happened last week or, or whenever this whole thing started with Martin Scorsese. This happened back like you and I indicated on a previous episode that we've talked about with Steven Spielberg and others that have mentioned their dissatisfaction with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, James Cameron and all that. I mean, all these longstanding directors have taken shots, but it seems to have upped a notch with the comments that have been made by Martin Scorsese, the director of The Irishman and so many other great movies that he's done over the course of his career, stating, quote unquote, that Marvel is not cinema in his opinion. In fact, he's not only not apologized for those comments, he's actually doubled down on them. So he's just continually downing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what it represents and what it actually does for the movie theater audience. And on top of that, this week, Francis Ford Coppola, who you know from all the great films that he's done, including Apocalypse Now and The Godfather and all that, he's actually weighed in with his thoughts and (laughs) he agrees 100% with Martin Scorsese and actually used the word despicable to describe the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what it represents as well. So I ask you, my friend, it's a tough time if you're one of those older, long-standing directors because you come off as get off my lawn type individuals. I've heard the words curmudgeon. I've heard the words grandpa, things of that nature that from people that are just giving them backlash. I want to ask you this. Will there be more of a backlash on them and all the future projects that they're a part of? Or will there be a backlash with Marvel because of all these acclaimed directors continuously beat up everything when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It's the same thing if you look at it like the way that classics change, right? What is considered a classic? They have this argument with books all the time. I would consider Hemingway a classic author, but now kids coming up would consider Veronica Roth a classic author or Stephanie Meyer a classic author. So to them, Stephen King. Stephen King, yeah. So to these guys, like, you know, they have been pioneers of the time, right? Because they came onto the scene when all of these film studios were getting ready to to shut down because film was not changing. Film was not evolving. And then these guys, Coppola, George Lucas, there's a couple others. They started a a company. I don't remember what it was called, but they started introducing all these noir films. Scorsese was among them. They had all these noir films, right? Scorsese had Taxi Driver. Lucas had uh, THX. What was it? THX. uh, What am I thinking of? 1147. Yeah, and then Coppola had Godfather, Goodfellas, Apocalypse Now. Like These were all character-based, narrative-driven films that told the story of an individual, and people were able to relate to them. You know, we kind of agree on this, and we I kind of don't agree with some of the things that you were saying, but I mostly agree with you. But I, I you got to understand, like, these guys, they kept the cinema alive. They changed the genre, and they kept it alive. Like, a lot of the stuff that is out today we have them to thank for it. Like they created movie culture. And now, so I understand why they're going off the scene, trying to, you know, kick and scream as they're leaving, because you think about it, nothing succeeds in movie theaters anymore, unless it's a Marvel Disney based film. Like if it's not franchise based, it doesn't do very well. The numbers don't do very well because people are releasing movies. Goodfell, or not Goodfell's, uh, Coppola and 
Scorsese, like these these people are still putting out movies, but they're just getting dwarfed by these superhero movies. Think about the cost of a movie ticket now, right? If you have $17 to pay for a movie ticket, you're going to spend it on on something epic, right? Like a Marvel film. You're not going to go see a narrative-driven film. You're going to wait till that does its Netflix or Redbox. So I totally understand where they're coming from. I know Coppola's comments, he said, uh, what did he say? Oh, when Martin Scorsese... Martin Scorsese said it that Marvel movies were not considered, in his opinion, cinema. And when it comes to Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola, he indicated that the movies themselves were despicable, in his opinion. Yeah, well, he said, I don't know that anyone gets anything out of seeing the same movie over and over again. So it's not the same movie. It's a different movie experience. Movies are evolving again, and they're getting left behind. So I understand their frustration. But at the same time, like with Marvel, it's not really a narrative driven experience anymore it's a collected narrative so it's not narrative in the in the type that they're used to does that make sense like with the the character driven the movie's going to start here and the movie's going to end here and it's not connected to anything else marvel films are a different type of narrative so i wouldn't necessarily call them not narrative driven but they're not narrative driven in the sense of old school filmmaking so i get why these guys are getting so upset i just i don't think that it's you know, curmudgeon, or I don't think they're like the get off my lawn type things. You just got to, people don't really sympathize with them because in the people that went to go see their movies, they're not going to the movies anymore. You know, they were going to disappear from the scene regardless, but I understand why they're going out kicking and screaming. Let me ask you a question with Francis Ford Coppola. That's not really into apocalypse now. Okay. Sure. What is this other famous series of films? The Godfather. Yeah. Godfather had one, two and three. And they're all connected in some form or fashion. Is that not correct? Yeah, they are, but it's not. And connected. do they have an overarching story narrative? But it's not part of a cinematic universe. The Godfather's not a universe. It's just not chapters. Not per se, but they didn't indicate no, such. But it's, they did it's, it's, there are elements from one that you can see that's related in three, two as well. I mean, there are elements, characters, things of that nature, and things that happen in one that adversely or or possibly affect things that are happening in two and three so i mean it's in a smaller sense it's not a universe per se but it still is an overarching narrative i mean it's not something that's that marvel actually came up with it's something that they helped maybe popularize or maybe come up with that's really integrated but again to me it gets to the point where with marvel they have come up with the greatest narrative as far as not overall but they have come up with a great narrative for their consumer base and one of the most intricate, most detailed narratives that have ever been tried and, and attempted in cinema. And I'm sorry that these fine, outstanding, and just basically some of the hierarchy of directors that have ever been part of Hollywood and cinema just cannot get with it. I'm not asking you to go ahead and make your own superhero movie we're not asking for that we're asking you to stay and, and keep on on going with your movies people if it's a movie we're seeing people will go to the movie theater and see it it doesn't matter if it's a marvel movie it doesn't matter if it's the irishman it doesn't matter what movie that's out there people will go ahead and see it whether it's that fast and furious whether it's jurassic kingdom doesn't matter it doesn't matter people will go and see it if they feel it's worth their time and money and i think that's something that they're all forgetting that with Marvel and with all the things that are going on within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they tie everything in. So they actually ask you, hey, 
you're going to miss out on something unless you go ahead and see it. So you need to go ahead and see all these movies together as a collective base. Same thing with what, uh, not same thing, but there's a different type of scenario with what Martin Scorsese and also Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron. They also want you to go ahead and show you something that they want you to go ahead and see in theaters. Their demographic to who they usually cater to is different from a Marvel type of demographic. So they shouldn't go ahead and hold it against Disney or Marvel for going ahead and catering to a certain demographic. I mean, they put out a film, Marvel and all these other directors. It's up to you as an individual to decide to go see it. Like you said before, these films are mostly played out to be epics. And if that's what people wanted to go ahead and spend their hard-earned money on, they should be allowed to go ahead and see it. And also, since they go ahead and have the same characteristics as many of the movies that these other fine directors have made, in the fact that they have antagonists, protagonists, a narrative, they create emotion, they do all the things that all these other great directors do in their movies, Marvel movies should not be considered any less cinema than what they're producing. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. See, I agree, but I I don't agree because I feel like Marvel. The I do I understand. I'm going to say this one more thing. One more thing. Absolutely, nobody was complaining about this at all during the early 2000s when Daredevil was stinking up the box office, or when all these other superhero quest for peace, or superhero the one with Brandon Roush, and in all these other DC and Marvel movies were doing pretty badly at the box office. Nobody was saying a word. But all of a sudden, they make $2 billion, and you know what? Now the word's out. Yeah, I mean, because for me, like, this goes far beyond the the Martin Scorsese comments, right? Or the Coppola comments. Like, this goes on to this whole idea that even with indie filmmakers, like, it, you're, you're, if you make a movie, it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been around. If it's not backed by Disney, if it doesn't have Disney property attached to it, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel... You know, if it's not attached to that umbrella, it won't get watched by people. And I understand why they're feeling alienated. I'm not necessarily saying that I, I know they're complaining and it's uh, a result of the dominance of these Disney properties at the box office is what's triggering these complaints. I get that. And I, you know, they're, I, it's complaining, you know, complaining is complaining. But, you know, these guys, newer people, like there's, a lot of movies out there that are stories, you know, they're stories about people, people, average people, things that we can all relate to. They don't get seen because there Disney is a, like this juggernaut in the box office. If it's not attached to a major franchise, like, like something Disney related, nobody's going to go watch it. Look at some of the um, uh, romantic comedies and some of the horror films. Like they, they get some money. Yeah. But they don't do nearly as well as some of the Marvel films. And my, what I wonder is if the Marvel films were not on the scene anymore, how well would those movies do? So it's just, it's, I get it. You know, I get why they're upset because they, they're, their work is getting dwarfed by these huge projects with Disney money. Their projects, I would say not. Their projects specifically, I would say not. 
Their projects still, when they're released, they're still released in 3,000 plus theaters. They're still given ample 10 to 20, $30 million budgets for advertising and promotion. Those are still top of line directors and their work is still lauded by the industry. And they're still given every opportunity to succeed. Most of them are put into a segment of the calendar that's geared towards Oscar race because their films are considered Oscar contenders. So they usually get a lot of buzz there. They generate, for the most part, for those movies, anywhere from 150 to 450, 500 million dollars. So I can't see them being adversely affected by what's out there. They're alternative to what Marvel has to offer because they cater to a demographic that's mostly not going to see what Marvel has to offer. So for them, I can't say that what they're saying is really valid to the point where they're correct. And I think what their opinions are on it, with all due respect to their great work, is just as cinematic as theirs is. And it's just as much cinema as theirs is. But again, it comes down to the point where, you know, at this point in time, will there be a backlash with their movies or will there be a backlash with Marvel because of what they said? I think there's going to be, at some point, some type of small backlash against the Irishman and against some of the other stuff that those highly acclaimed directors have put out just for a short period of time by internet trolls and things of that nature, because that usually what happens when people say things that other people don't like. But for the most part, I think that this is not a good way to, to have these type of, of things that you say, but if that's their opinion, that's their opinion. You can't change that, but don't tell me just because you have made so many outstanding films that, what I see and what I like and what I enjoy is or is not cinema. I mean, it does, it, I mean, it does everything. What I was taught in film, you know, my days it going to film class and things of that nature that certainly applies under the same umbrella for Marvel films as it does their own. So right now they're firmly implanting themselves as the, the biggest Marvel villains right now in the Marvel cinematic universe. And they're not even part of the Marvel movies. But, I mean, I think we have to sit back and, you know, you made a few points I want to touch on real quick. One, the Oscar race it's is known for junk movies anyways, right? It's only going to appeal to, like, the 13 people that pay money to go see it. I disagree with you that several mm. movies that win Oscars, I can name of quite a few that have earned a substantial amount at the box office. Come on. It, they're not – nobody watches an Oscar movie and goes – wow, I want to watch that 10 more times. You know, they go out, they go, okay, well, that was that was pretty good. But they don't come out going, I want to buy that on Blu-ray and I'm going to watch it every time I get sick. Nobody no, said Guillermo that. Guillermo del Toro's did not make a ton of the box office. I'll agree with you there. But there's been several Oscar winners. There's been several Oscar contenders that have generated quite a substantial amount of, of money at the box office. Yeah, just, I mean, we've had the succession before. Just because it makes a lot of money doesn't mean it's good, but. Oh, that's for sure. I can tell you, yeah. <laughs> You know, and then the internet trolls, of course, they're going to get trolled, right? Because I, I would be surprised if Martin Scorsese and, uh, you know, Coppola are even, like, good at using the internet. Like, a lot of the people who troll things are younger generation of people, right? They're the ones who are trolling. I don't even people. think they have a Twitter account. Yeah, so the people who are going to be trolling them are the, are the people who are watching Marvel films. They're the younger generation. They don't care about Taxi Driver. They don't care about Godfather. They just care about Iron Man. And three, like, again, like, I agree with a lot of the things you're saying, but I just, I think that, you know, people are taking this too personally. We just got to look at this as the grumblings of old men not wanting to go out with their boots on quietly, I guess. Yeah. 
Well, their movies, though, you're, I will say that in regards to box office, for the most part, they're still very strong. Irishman, whether or not it gets a full release on theaters, that's regardless because it's going to garner a ton of viewership on Netflix because it's going on Netflix here very shortly and it it's going to do a ton of viewers there. I mean, you could pretty much count on 30, 40 million viewers to go ahead and check out The Irishman during the course of its run. So I, I don't think you feel too badly for them there. But there is going to be at some point in time some declining returns because the individual's that are primarily going to see their films are getting older and older and older, making the way for newer and different things. I mean, it's just the circle of way things are in almost every facet of our society. Take, for instance, retail. I mean, I was general manager of a store that unfortunately did not meet the times, did not stay with the times, did not keep current. Its clientele died off and, and you see what happens, see the effects. Their company is no longer in business. Same thing with JCPenney, Sears, and you can name a dozen to two dozen others right off the top of your head, Toys R Us. Your clientele dies off. It doesn't get replaced because you're not learning how to adapt to the times. Right now, people are into superhero and superhero movies. It's just the way it is right now because they're done well enough right now to be at the point where they're shown in a cinema and people think that's an experience. There's going to be a period of time where superhero movies aren't the thing. And they're going to move on to something else. Will it be back into sci-fi heavy? Will it be back into zombie movies heavy? Will it be back into dramas heavy? Gangster movies? You know, it'll be some type of genre back and forth, back and forth. So, But right now, superhero movies are the thing. And that makes them the low-hanging fruit and the easy target for everyone to take shots at. I agree. I just, I, I feel like there needs to be room in theaters. Like, movie theaters should do a better job of promoting the smaller flicks, not Scorsese per se, but like when I worked at AMC three times a month, they would choose three indie films a month and they would promote them very heavily. I don't think movie theaters do that anymore. And I just, I feel like this type of thing wouldn't happen if movie theaters did stuff like that. Well, we'll have to wait and see what goes on as far as any type of backlash with either with Marvel or with the films of Martin Scorsese and also Francis Ford Coppola. And I hope not because those two are some of the finest directors ever to have graced the world of cinema. Let's get that out of the way as well. Just like Marvel is cinema, in my opinion, and everything that goes on there. Those two are some of the finest. And also as well, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, you know, all these, these directors that have said disparaging things about Marvel, they might be in a lot of people's opinion, a get off my lawns, you know, curmudgeon, everything of that nature, as far as not what the times, anything of that nature, as far as what they're saying, what, how they're coming off. But you know what? They are all part of our movie history. They have created some of the greatest works in cinema that should not be forgotten. And that should not be less appreciated on wherever they think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What are your thoughts out there on the comments made by Scorsese, Coppola in the past, Cameron, Spielberg, and more on all these fine directors from our history of movies saying about the current success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Does it make them the real villain that Marvel should be going against? We also want to hear your thoughts on that as well. Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, before we head to the break and our good friend Daphne Matthew at the Walking Dead fan base and Talking the Dead 18+, plus, it is the biggest week in video games of 2019. 
the biggest release week because we have three great releases coming out this week in, well, actually, if you five, if you want to consider PBA Bowling and Yoga Master, that's up to you, though. But the three I'm going to target with Josh right now are WWE 2K20, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and The Outer Worlds. WWE 2K20 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare, those two are earmarked to be two of the top 10 releases of this year. The Outer Worlds is getting a lot of pub, getting a lot of press. That's the latest game from Obsidian, and that's getting a lot of interest for a lot of people who are interested in a space exploration type game that has a lot of Fallout, Mass Effect, Bioshock elements that are within the game. So I want to hear your thoughts first off, WWE 2K20 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Do you see the success continuing for each Call of Duty Modern Warfare, even though it's a name we've they've already used? They're reusing it again. They're reusing some of the same characters. Do you think I'll actually get the same type of effect that Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare once did back in 2007? I don't know. Modern Warfare was a very unique point in time because we had had all World War II games. Well, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. You got to... Yeah, sorry. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare is a very unique point in time because that was the first time Call of Duty had jumped out of the World War setting. And that's what made that game so unique because they had old school players wanting to see what could be offered by this franchise beyond what they've done. So they had that. And then I think people got burnt out on that concept because it just kept happening over and over and over. So I don't really think the Modern Warfare branding has anything to do with the game doing well. I think that that was just people were willing to see what could happen next. You know, it's the same thing with with Mass Effect Andromeda is the fact that people were like, well, what can they do beyond? And obviously that one didn't work out so well. But with Modern Warfare, beyond the multiplayer, I don't think that people are really going to be as into it, if that makes sense. Like, I see what they're trying to do, and I I think that's cool, and I appreciate it. But, like, I don't think that it being titled Modern Warfare is going to make it do any better or worse than it would on its own. I think that Activision, Infinity War, whoever's making this one, they're hoping that to recapture that nostalgia of Modern Warfare 4. But, like I said, you know, that was the first time they jumped out of the World War setting, and that's, in my opinion, why that one did so well. I'm going to tell you right now, my friend, I think it's going to jumpstart it at least a little bit, although it really doesn't need that much of a jumpstart, even though there has been declining numbers in a certain part of this decade for the Call of Duty series, it's always still remained at the number one or close to number one best-selling game of each year with each iteration that comes out. I think in this year, Call of Duty Modern Warfare is going to be the biggest seller of 2019 because there is no brand new GTA There is no brand new Red Dead Redemption. There is no brand new Rockstar game to go against it. I think that would probably be the other major contender. So I think that is the number one selling game, I think, for it to be out there as far as from a retail standpoint. With WWE 2K20, they have to get the mechanics going a little bit better because they've had some faltering reviews in the past couple years, even though it's really the only wrestling game in town. Hopefully one day that will change and there will be better, different wrestling games that'll come out that'll compete with it but right now it is wwe 2k20 the microtransactions that's got to be brought down to a minimum but of course it's 2k and again we've had this issue when talking about 2k they love their microtransactions so i expect nothing less when it comes to wwe 2k20 that we've already seen from games like nba 2k20 that we've already talked about not too long ago and the outer worlds before we head to the break my friend that's a game like i said from obsidian 
that's just coming out this week with a lot of nods to the Fallout series, Mass Effect, Bioshock, and a lot of tones that are set by those games within the framework of the Outer Worlds. It looks pretty good. It's getting a lot of interest from a lot of people out there. We'll know as far as the reviews later this week when it comes out just how good people think it is. But I think it's going to get a lot of buzz and a lot of interest from a lot of people out there when The Outer Worlds comes out later this week. Oh, I agree for sure. Like, this is one that people have been talking about for a long time. It's Obsidian making this one, right? Yeah. So Obsidian... They were were making this game before they were bought out by Microsoft. Yes. So for those of you listening, Obsidian made uh, Fallout New Vegas, and that was a game, you know, they hadn't done any big scope games like that before. And so it was really just kind of a, a sleeper hit. It came out of nowhere and it was amazing. With Outer Worlds, I know they have said that it's not going to be the size and scope of Fallout New Vegas, but it's also they have promised to have your choices matter, much like in Fallout New Vegas, but to a whole new extent. You know, even in games like Borderlands, you can go up some NPCs, right? They won't let you shoot them. You can't inflict harm on some of the NPCs. Your thing will turn green. On this, you can actually, if you choose to be a villain, you can take out quest givers. The amount of choice in this game is immense, and everything you do affects who you become, what kind of missions you get to do, what you're able to do in the game. And so while the game might not be as big as people are expecting it to be, the character options are huge. So I think that's kind of appealing to a lot of people because we haven't gotten something like that since Fable, I would say. So it's got a lot of cool elements in it, especially in this time when Borderlands is doing so well and it's become so big. It's no wonder that people are so excited about this because this is Borderlands taken to a whole new scope of game. So I'm really excited about it. I'm going to play it. It's on Games Pass. So that's actually going to be my next thing. After I finish Gears 5, I'm going to jump onto Outer Worlds. So I, I might have some thoughts on that after I play it. But what are your thoughts? Are you excited about it? I am kind of excited about it. I'm not loving the Fallout New Vegas style graphics and the face modeling and the detail modeling for the people. I still think it's very Fallout-ish, which, again, is not my favorite cup of tea. But the style, what it incorporates, and I just love a good space adventure, I'll be honest with you, because it goes back to the days where you can look right behind me and you've got Mass Effect plastered all over my back of my room here. So hopefully this will incorporate a lot of those elements and I'll be able to go ahead and enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to as well when it comes out later this week. But with WWE 2K20, I think it's going to be another solid seller for them. Analysts have already predicted that that game and also Call of Duty Modern Warfare are going to be two of the biggest hits of the year. If the Outer Worlds were able to sneak into that, it just goes to show you that word of mouth is just really going to help it out. So I'm hopeful that the Outer Worlds will get solid to very good reviews later this week which will lead to some good word of mouth for Obsidian's game. Hopefully it won't be a distant number three of those three that are coming out this week. And then all three of them by the end of the year will see their share of success going forward. So I am interested in all three games. I know you're interested in the Outer Worlds. If you out there are interested in playing any one of these games, or if you're going to get them, please share us your thoughts on the games themselves. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also, saw Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, it's our good friend Daphne Matthew from Talking the Dead 18 Plus and the Walking Dead fan base. She's going to be talking about the future of the Walking Dead. That's coming up after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. All right, and we're back with the program. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. And again, it's that time. We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about The Walking Dead because there's a lot to say about The Walking Dead. Their season just came out. It is still, even with all the declining numbers and all the things that people love to say about it and love to say against it and things of that nature, it is still AMC's number one show. Let's get that right out there. But the numbers are declining. And there's a lot of issues going forward for that show, but at least things are clearer for that show than some other things in the TWD universe. And here to talk to me today about The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, and also the new Walking Dead show coming in 2020. She is the administrator of The Walking Dead fan base. You want to check out that awesome group with tens of thousands of people associated to it. You want to go ahead and check that out today on Facebook or also as well, Talking the Dead 18 Plus, a great place to go for adults as well when they're talking everything The Walking Dead. It is my good friend. It is Daphne Matthew. <laughs> Daphne, Hello. I've, been Hello, reading, I, I've actually been promising the folks out there on radio, in the podcast sphere, I've been promising you a couple of weeks now on this air because I've had some things I want to get off my chest when it comes to oh. TWD. Let's go with the current right here, and that is The Walking Dead. A new season has started. Again, the numbers are not what AMC would love to see. I mean, it is still in a downward slope. I mean, the plus seven numbers are still pretty good, and it is still AMC's number one show. That's Again, that's got to stress that. It is still AMC's number one show. So if anybody wonders why that they're still – putting out a big budget for this show. Why are they doing Fear the Walking Dead? Why are they doing another show in 2020? It's because this show still, of any of their shows, gets their biggest ratings. So I want to hear from you. How has this season started for you? Has it started off on a good note? Before we head into the other two things I want to talk about. Well, I think actually this season has taken this show back to what it should have been the storyline lost its way during season seven after Glenn and Abraham died because it started focusing so much on people that we started to forget that this was supposed to be a show about walkers and how people survived amongst them. But I think this season, they're taking it back to where it used to be, where, you know, there, there's actually walkers in the show. <laughs> so I think, so far from the first two episodes that have aired that the show is actually a lot better than the last two seasons. I think AMC is now forced to go back to what worked in the past, which was not having, even though for eight and a half seasons, Andrew Lincoln was the focus, there was a lot more story to the show. So they realized that it's gone back to more of an ensemble as as opposed to one person. I think realistically they realize that the characters of Daryl and Carol, though they are important to the story, they would not keep people watching the show. So they had to go back and start bringing back the storyline with the walkers. 
a lot of people are talking about the ratings. I think I mentioned this before. See, AMC, they pretty much shot themselves in the leg when it comes to this show in particular because they give you the ability to join AMC Premiere and you can see the show a day in advance. So people don't have to wait till Sunday to see The Walking Dead. People don't have to wait till Sunday to see Fear of the Walking Dead. So basically, it's like everybody keeps on talking about ratings, but like I said before, this is 10 years since The Walking Dead premiered. Let me interject this. Mm -hmm. People talk about the ratings, especially numbers people like me. I follow Mm -hmm. the ratings. That's what I do. A lot of what I say as far as box office or ratings, that's what I do as far as for the show. That's how I analyze things, and that's how I gauge people's interests. That's the first thing I see. Obviously, social media and some other things go into it as well. But when you go from 15 million people to 4 million people watching an episode of a show, you can't dissuade that your show has lost 10 million viewers. Yes, it's great that it had 15 million viewers on an episode, Mm -hmm. but to go down to that low, even though it is still AMC's number one show, is still, you have to be concerned. Where the show's never hit before, that has got to be somewhat of a concern. I'm sure they're very concerned with the numbers, but like I said, Technology has changed so much where you can look at an episode days in advance. I mean, it actually happened, but it never was released in either of my group, but in other groups that I am familiar with, where people was airing the premiere three days before it aired. They were able to find it on YouTube and see that's the problem. We have so much technology now. It's killing a lot of shows. The Walking Dead isn't the only show that is suffering this. There are so many shows that are struggling to keep their viewership. Oh, and I agree with you. Broadcasting cable, yeah. you know, over the past 10 years since the advent of streaming has had a sharp mm-hmm. decline. I mean, my friend Jessica Boggs from the TVRatingsGuide.com, <laughs> she'll tell you flat out because she follows the numbers on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. she'll tell you that the numbers overall for anything broadcasting cable has declined overall. One of the aberrations in that storyline, though, halfway through this decade was The Walking Dead, where the numbers were actually rising while other traditional shows were declining. Yes, some of it is due to people just getting tired of the series and moving on. But I think it's a twofold issue when it comes to the I think the majority, the biggest decline started with season seven with the brutal deaths of Abraham and Glenn. That's when the show started declining. So basically what they did after that, AMC made the decision to tone down the violence. Okay, it did work for a while, but they had, after that episode, season seven was probably the worst season in Walking Dead history because it was like too much story, too much dragging it out. And then you got the last three episodes, which was absolutely great, but you had 12 episodes of garbage. Historically, all shows declined towards the end of their run. I know the day The Walking Dead premiered on October 6th, it was renewed for season 11. I don't see it going past season 12 because, first of all, we have another main character leaving with Denai leaving sometime this season. But you do have one coming back in Lauren Cohen in season 11. Yeah, but that's not till season 11. So it's like we got to get through this season first. I don't think because of the storyline itself, The Whisper of War, I don't think they're going to have too big of a decline this season. They actually might get some viewers back because this is actually one of the best storylines in the comics. 
Could they have done it earlier? Maybe they should have, because as I said, season seven and parts of season eight is what really crippled the show. Forget about all the stuff you can see it for free or somebody can pass you a link. That doesn't matter when the time comes where live viewers are even online talking about how the show sucks. So, you know, we we have an interesting combination here. And the other question, why would AMC continue on with a show when now after 10 seasons, it's like the ratings, they've lost 60% of their audience. Well, again, it goes um, back to them being number one. And surprisingly, they're still the number one show. The other thing is we have this interesting little scenario where they don't include the ratings from overseas. The show airs in several overseas countries and they don't get to see it till the following day. Yeah, it's hard to look at a show that had 15 million viewers three years ago and then Three, four years later, you're seeing the ratings saying four million and you see these terrible reviews talking about the show was the worst yet. But now people are saying this is looking to be one of the best seasons ever. So it's like, you know, can they keep this momentum up? Because now people are talking about the show again and it's not all bad. People are actually interested in the show. People are actually interested in seeing what happens next. So now AMC has a challenge. You gave us two great first episodes. The question is, can you keep it going? Once again, I'm talking to Daphne Matthew. You got to check her awesome Facebook group out. It is the Walking Dead fan base. Tens of thousands of people have already joined. If you're a TWD fan, you got to go ahead and be part of that conversation. The Walking Dead fan base and also Talking the Dead 18 Plus. Both groups are available now on Facebook. You mentioned... Fear the Walking Dead. You're Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead is something I really wanted to talk to you about because, oh my goodness. As we left the last season of Fear the Walking Dead, one of my favorite characters and a character from the original first season of The Walking Dead, Lenny James, appears mm-hmm. to be on death's door. Now, we've seen this before where a character is near death or, in Rick's case, taken away in a helicopter. Okay. Mm. But a lot of people are upset that this could lead to an impending death for Lenny James and his character. I would be first on that list because I do immensely appreciate his work. I think he is the one of the few redeeming characters in that series because fear of the walking dead has not only gone off the rails, but it's gone off the rails, gone down a hillside and actually gone down (laughs) the mountain. They've jumped off the cliff totally with this show. I agree with that. My question to you is simply this. Why keep that show on the air, especially if they kill off Lenny James' character? Yeah, I do believe he will die. Because first of all, what they did to the show was ridiculous. You went a whole season without a death. You went a whole season of storyline of redemption that basically destroyed the show. I mean... The only reason I can see for them even having a sixth season, because if you notice, the third show, which is yet to be unnamed, basically, if you think about the timing of this show, it's coming on usually when Fear of the Walking Dead would be airing on their station. The reason why they're doing that is because Fear of the Walking Dead will probably end next season. Fear started at the beginning of the apocalypse. And it just went in so many different directions. There hasn't been a season where you can see a pattern of consistency 
since season two. They spent half of that season on a boat, and then they ended up in Mexico, and after that, it just got worse. This season was by far the worst season I've ever seen. It was like, even for a diehard Walking Dead fan, it was torture to have to look at that entire season until the very last episode, the best episode of the season. You had to go through 15 episodes of nonsense to get to it. And unfortunately, it's probably the death of Lenny because there's nobody there to save him. I mean, they could surprise us and bring in somebody, I don't know, maybe Jadis. Who knows? I can't see them redeeming the show. I think they need to tie it up, wrap it up with a bow, send whatever cast they're going to keep to The Walking Dead. So that's my take on Fear the Walking Dead. I really, really don't see why they renewed it for another season other than to bring the groups together. Well, we have just a couple minutes left, but I got to ask you, there's a third Walking Dead show that's on the way. With all the issues that are going on with The Walking Dead and the ratings and all the stuff that's going on as far as the bad perception that Fear the Walking Dead has and and the troubles right now ratings-wise with The Walking Dead and all the stuff that goes around it and all the negative press and negative vibes, still, Season 10 of Walking Dead is off to a good start. The Whisper storyline has been something that has improved the series. I will give it that. But I want to ask you this. Why bring out another show with all the stuff that's going on right now in The Walking Dead? Why put the focus and the onus on another show coming in 2020? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. It's to get the audience back that they lost. If you look at the ratings, the majority, the core audience that used to watch the show was between the 18 and 49-year-old demographics. They've lost the majority of that. I mean, even diehard fans in that age group was finding it hard to watch. Well, 18 and 49 so, demo is the most important demo because those are the ones right. that are most appealing to advertisers. Exactly. So basically, the reason for the third spinoff is that, well, they know fear is not going to make it. The Walking Dead, we have to be honest, and all the characters are getting older. So what they're trying to do with this show is look at the zombie apocalypse from a younger perspective. My understanding of the synopsis of this show is going to be a group of teens. They're thinking maybe they can appeal to the 18 to 49-year-old demographics by actually building a storyline about a group of survivors with that age range. That is why they're having the third show. So we'll see what happens. But I know we're out of time. But I will say somewhere around the mid-season finale, we can chat again and see how this season panned out so far for everybody. We will definitely do so indeed and see how it works out with The Walking Dead and also as well the future of The Walking Dead universe with Fear of the Walking Dead and the new untitled or as yet titled show coming up in 2020. We should pretty much have a good information on it by the time the mid-season finale airs in six weeks. So we'll see what happens in six weeks. We will see what happens in six weeks, and we'll have you back on again, certainly for that and a lot more coming up in the future when it concerns The Walking Dead and so many other things pop culture. It is once again Daphne Matthew from The Walking Dead fan base. Also as well, Talking the Dead 18+. you got to catch those awesome groups today on Facebook and be part of The Walking Dead conversation. Daphne, as always, it's great to have you on the show. Looking forward to that mid-season report from you here in a few weeks. 
I just cannot thank you enough for being part of the show and as always being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world seven days a week on radio stations worldwide, you could check out our listings today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you'll also see a listing of many of our over 30 different podcast options as well. Josh, you've got a great thing going on with Congratulations, You Suck. So tell everybody out there how they can get their hands on this awesome book. Congratulations, you suck. You can find it on uh, Amazon.com. I think there's still a few copies left before it sells out. BarnesandNoble.com. If you've already picked up a copy, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. That is, again, Congratulations, You Suck. That's available now on BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, The Nook, The Kindle, and everywhere you can get your books. But you can still order it, right? When you can walk up to a store and you can order it. Yeah, you can order it in the store, but they'll only order it if you're actually going to buy it. So I'm trying to get it on shelves. I'll keep you guys posted. Before we talk our next 10 in the top 200 video games all time, I want to ask a favor from everybody out there. And this is our last chance I can say this as far as on one of our shows. If you can please vote today at discoverpods.com for their annual Discover Pods Awards. The 2019 Discover Pods Awards are just around the corner. And we'd love to be a part of the list of nominees for the best TV and film show. I know our show talks about a whole bunch of other things besides TV and film, but they, we didn't really have a category we 100% fit in. So I think that's probably what we're going to go ahead with. If you get a chance, go to discoverpods.com. Vote for us in the best TV and film category. The deadline is the 22nd, so we would truly appreciate any help that you could give us. All right, my friend, the list of the top 200 continues of the best video games of all time as determined by our voters from Pop Culture Cosmos. The latest list is as follows from 21 to 30. Getting close to the end, my friend, getting close to the end. Number 30, Resident Evil 4. Number 29, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. Number 28, hmm, what a coincidence, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. Number 27, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Number 26, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Number 25, Final Fantasy 4. Number 24, Uncharted 2, Among Thieves. Number 23, Portal. Number 22, Donkey Kong Country. And number 21, GoldenEye 007. So you heard the list. It's another outstanding list. And when you get this high up in the list, you, you, know, you can't help but appreciate everybody's thoughts on what they think the best games are because these are some really upper echelon Hall of Fame type games. So I want to ask you your thoughts on the latest 10 that's up here, numbers 21 to 30. All right, well, going down the list here, Resident Evil 4, I, I have played. I remember that being significant because that was the first time 
Resident Evil shifted from being the suspense horror game, horror survival, to more action-oriented. Like, you had a more linear path. You weren't just wandering around buildings that you had paths to follow. You had to go from point A to point B. You're still getting attacked, and ammo and items are still scarce, but it stopped being that whole thing where you're trying to go around solving a mystery. It's a very straightforward action game, and it was fun, it felt like it was not Resident Evil anymore because you were fighting more humans because you were fighting a cult. It was a change in direction that kind of influenced where things are going now. Because from what I understand, Resident Evil 7, 6, 7, is kind of went back to that haunted house form, which is what we all kind of loved about Resident Evil 2 and the remake, obviously. So, fun game. Uh, Breath of the Wild spent hours and hours and hours. This was the first Zelda game that actually sat down and played from start to finish. Like I played Ocarina of Time, played a few of the other Zeldas on N64 when you know I was over at a friend's house, but this was the first time I sat down, played the game from start to finish, did all the side quests, explored the entire world. This was an absolutely fantastic game, and I love when I'm grading papers, I listen to the soundtrack because it is uh, incredibly soothing. So check it out if you're a fan. Modern Warfare 4. A lot of fours on this list today. So we have Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4. We talked about this, right? This was the first transition away from the World War setting. And it was fun. You know, it's it's a different thing for Call of Duty. I remember it opening up with that boat scene, and I really enjoyed that. Really loved this game. Never played any of the ones after that. I just kind of lost interest in the franchise. That might just be my opinion of it. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, first time you could play multiplayer on a Sonic game. So that was cool. They only had four stages. I remember doing the one where you can kind of go up and down the ramp. You try to jump over your friends and get all the rings before they do. Fun game. I remember you could attach it to Sonic and Knuckles. That was cool. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! Never played that one. I know a lot of people are are fans of it. Final Fantasy IV. Really loved that game. This was the one we were talking about. I remember trying to figure out if uh, what the After Years was attached to. So it was this one. Great game. I played it on on mobile. I played on the, on the phone, which I wish I didn't. I'd love to go back and actually play it on a console. Never played the After Years, but uh, it's something that I would not mind going back to as a Final Fantasy fan. I know Uncharted 2 you're a huge fan of. I liked it. I don't know if it's my favorite. I got to go back and play these games again because I've Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I I bought the the Uncharted collection. I did. I have it. I just got to take the time to go back and play it. But I I remember I really loved the first one just because I had never played a game like that before. So it kind of blew my mind. It was fun going back to it. I just don't remember if I liked two or three better. Portal is a game. I I don't think I ever played the first one. I played the second one, though. And then Donkey Kong Country 64. Did spend a lot of time playing that one over at Friend's House. It's Donkey Kong, you know, not much to say there. Goldeneye, this is something that everybody has good memories playing. And I remember specifically that kids in my grade would have birthday parties and sleepovers and stuff just to have their friends come over and play Goldeneye. And that was so much fun. I remember hearing, because I went to a Christian school, these moms were like, what is this Goldeneye game they're playing? So they would go do their research and then they would try to ban it, people, kids from talking about it at school because, you know, it's rated M and it's got shooting and stuff. So, but... They did have that version where you could shut the blood off. So those Christian moms can't have their cake and eat it too. So that being said, great game. Loved it. This is actually a good list. A pretty solid amount of games that I have played. So what about you, though? What are, what sticks out to you on this? Well, of course, I'd say Uncharted 2 Among Thieves because that is my second favorite game of all time. It is truly an outstanding experience. And for quite a bit, it stands up very well to my favorite, which is Uncharted 3. 
game of all time. It's just that the ending, at the very ending, the last boss fight was not quite what expected. So otherwise, it's a fantastic and virtually perfect game outside of that. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! It's a load of fun. It's just really one of the harder games as you progress because you've got to really understand the timing involved with that. Also, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare is the best Call of Duty that they've ever produced by far, hands down, both from at that point in time, not only a narrative, but also a multiplayer experience. Just could not have any more fun with the Call of Duty series than that game right there. And you're right, for like a lot of people, they too fell out of interest with the series as it went on after Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Once this game really took it up to another notch for the Call of Duty series. So I couldn't agree with you more. Resident Evil 4 is a classic. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I know a lot of fans of the Switch truly love that game. So that's definitely deserving to be on the list. And when it comes down to it, there is a lot of fun with GoldenEye 007 because of the multiplayer aspect. But also the narrative, the, the campaign that it had as far as recreating in many ways the actual GoldenEye movie that it emulates so well it was just truly a fun experience cannot say enough good things about it you know just the nintendo 64 version was just was a lot of fun and if you got to play the multiplayer as odd job it was just truly a blast even though it's kind of a cheat and everybody knows it is but hey that's golden eye 007 for you just an outstanding experience but yes it is a great list of 10 if you want to check out the entire list of the top 200 video games of all time It's available right now at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. That includes our top 20 video games, which we'll still be counting off on our next two episodes. So stay tuned for that unless you want to go ahead and check it out sooner because the lists are available in batches of 10 at our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. Cannot thank you and Daphne Matthew from the Walking Dead fan base and Talking the Dead 18 Plus for joining us on today's program. Before we head on out, I got to tell you, my friend, are you excited? Tickets will now be on sale as of this recording because Monday night, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, tickets finally go on sale. They're going to release the final trailer for it. I'm just so excited because it's time to be a Star Wars fan once again. Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited to see this trailer popping up here. I would like to go see the movie. I want to actually go through and watch all of them because I feel like you know, The Last Jedi left such a bad taste in my mouth. I haven't touched anything Star Wars since that came out. So I kind of want to go through, watch them all, give The Last Jedi a second viewing, see if my opinion changes. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm hoping this is one of the few movies that I actually get to go to the theaters to watch because I haven't really been to the movies in a long time. You know, my friend, you sound completely different than this time last year when it comes to the vile and vitriol that came out of your mouth when it concerned The Last Jedi and the whole Star Wars universe, and you were so tired of it, you wouldn't want anything to do with it, and you were totally burned out and all that stuff. You know, I can't say I blamed you. It's the politics of it that got me burnt out, I think. Well, well, I think it's also the Star Wars films, because they are, more than any other series, have had really some great highs and some extremely poor lows, and not just the prequels in the 90s, but also as well some of the movies like you said, with The Last Jedi that has gone on in recent times. And then Solo, even though I thought it was an okay movie, that underperformed dramatically at the box office, just bringing down the Star Wars panache and name even more. So we'll have to wait and see what the fan interest of it is. 
I don't think it's going to blow out the records like Avengers Endgame is, but I still think they're going to be as a very strong interest because this is the end of the Skywalker saga coming up with Star Wars Episode Nine. It's coming out December 20, but tickets, if you're hearing this on Monday morning, tickets are supposed to be on sale sometime during Monday evening, early Monday evening, because the final trailer is being played during Monday Night Football on ESPN. So if everybody out there wants to get a jump on it, try and maybe around 7 p.m. Eastern, maybe 8 p.m. Eastern, start looking there to see if it's available on Fandango. Start getting in tune from there because you know what? A lot of people are getting excited for it. Maybe getting that Star Wars itch once again because Rise of Skywalker will soon be on its way to theaters. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. We are the Cigar Nerds, bringing nerdy sophistication and geeky indulgence on all topics, including movies, video games, science, and pop culture news, all from the Nerd Cave Cigar Lounge. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever fine podcasts are found, including ESONetwork.com and CigarNerdPodcast.com. So fire up a cigar, it's time to get nerdy. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network Podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.